This is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. Your best insight into Utah Jazz basketball and the NBA in Utah. For the next two hours, it's nothing but NBA conversation from the local front to around the association. Now let's get things rolling with Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. All right, welcome everyone into the Salt City Hoops show on ESPN 700. I'm your host, Andy Larson. Ben Dowsett, as always, joins me on on the show today. Um, We are the editors of SaltCityHoops.com, the ESPN True Hoop affiliate for the Utah Jazz. Coming to you just a couple hours before the Utah Jazz take on the Golden State Warriors in Oakland, California. We'll be talking about that game later on in the show. We'll also be talking about the Jazz's offensive success, probably this segment, actually. Um, They're actually a top eight offensive team. I don't know if people realize that the Jazz are a good offensive team this year. I think the slow pace kind of changes the numbers a little bit, hides that they've been so good offensively. We'll talk about the reasons behind that and more. Is that a year-long number, by the way? They're eighth for the year? For the season, yeah. Wow, not bad. Yeah. Uh, And then we'll also talk about how they've done in 2015. You know, we've only got about a week left in 2015. We'll talk about uh, their improvement over just the calendar year of 2015 compared to 2014. uh, What the biggest moments were in the season, that sort of thing. Or in the year, I should say. Uh, That'll be next segment as well. We've only got a one-hour show today because the game is at 8.30. So kind of giving you guys a chance, those of you who love the Jazz, to watch the Jazz as well as listen to our show. And, of course, uh, it's a special holiday edition, right? So that makes up for it in in itself. Totally. 100%. as always, we'd love your feedback on the show, love to hear what you guys are thinking about with regards to the Jazz, the NBA, whatever the case might be. You can tweet us on Twitter at Andy B. Larson or at Ben underscore Dowsett. Um, hopefully the Warriors fans in your mentions haven't been too bad today. <laughs> no, it's, it's tapered off. Okay, good. <laughs> or you can always call us at 877-353-0700. Uh, let's, let's dig right into it, though. The, the Jazz's offense, again... It's it's interesting because different stats, different websites on the internet keep different numbers mm. on uh, how effective the Jazz's offense has been, even on a points-per-possession basis. Just counting the number of possessions over the course of a season turns out to be a non-trivial task. Um, Quite non-trivial, in fact. That being said... Th- well, one website, Nylon Calculus, we have his managing editor, Seth Partnow, on the show all the time, uh, has the Jazz actually as high as sixth in terms of the league in offense. Okay, and theirs um, is probably the quote-unquote truest form because they use actual possession counts pulled from play-by-play. That varies depending on who you ask as far as who's the sort of the most legitimate. There. Yeah. But it uses real possession counts, which I think is about as close as you can get these days. Right. And so that the Jazz ranks sixth, uh, you know, among the top of the, the league in that stat on Nylon Calculus is a big deal. Uh, they're eighth on basketball reference and I believe 12th on NBA.com. But you, you kind of get the idea that the Jazz have definitely a, an above average offense this season and, and maybe, you know, a top, you know, amongst one of the top teams in the league, top seven, top eight. I mean, you, you can make a case that they're alongside the, the Clippers and, and the Warriors in terms of offensive, maybe not the Warriors, but the Clippers, uh, the Portland Trailblazers, some of the other top offensive teams in the league this season. And I don't think that's something that most Jazz fans expected from their team this season. No, and I think, if I'm not mistaken, I'm looking it up to confirm right now, but I believe for the month of December, which does coincide pretty nicely with when since Rudy Gobert's been out of the lineup, they are, hold on, I think they're in the same spot. I think they're eighth. 
Yeah, so, and to me that says that it's not just Rudy Gobert's uh, not being on the floor. It's not just the Jazz's kind of increased spacing without Rudy Gobert. That really, I think Quinn Snyder's done a great job of bringing this unit together to to make an offensive cohesive whole, despite, what would you say in terms of the starting lineup? They probably have two above-average offensive players? Yeah, well, I have three. Who? I mean, Rodney hasn't played like one for some of this year, but I think he still gets the... the, I still think he gets the defensive respect as one, if you kind of see what I'm saying. I guess, but I mean, in terms of actual production for the entire season, I don't think he's been an above average... You're right. Yeah, and by that measure, there's two. You're right. Um... I do think if, if I and may, it's not real, like they're Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook no, kind of players, right? No. You know that makes sense why the Thunder are so good, despite only having two good offense players in their lineup. Well, I mean, they have three Serge probably Ibaka, Serge Ibaka, yeah. yeah. Um, the the semi stars that the Jazz have, Gordon Hayward and Derek Favors, are are not well renowned as these kind of offensive superstars, but they kind of have been a little bit this season. Yeah, I, I do think there have been some differences since Gobert left. Now, yeah, I think. For sure. De- deciphering whether they're because Rudy hasn't been in the lineup or whether it's just this team coalescing and figures figuring some things out, I think that's a little tougher because mm-hmm. I I think there's a total chance that they it's not like they've been playing small all the time for the lot for a lot of this they've been playing instead of Gobert alongside Favors will be one of Withy Lyles or Trevor Booker and Booker's shot one or two threes finally in the last few games but other than that it's not a whole lot more spacing than Rudy offers right like right. maybe a bit more but that said. The Jazz have generated over a quarter of their shots as open threes for the month of December. So that's shot, no defender within four feet. Uh, 26.1% of the total shots the Jazz have taken have fit that qualification, where before then it was about 19.5%. Now their figure currently is a top 10 figure in the league. The figure before was a bottom 10 figure in the league. So they're shooting a much higher percentage of their shots as open threes, which is generally that's good. Yeah, no, I agreed. And I think Quinn Snyder's offense is, is more set up than any Jazz offense in history in terms of getting open threes, in terms of making that the end point of the possession. You know, often Jerry Sloan would run and Ty Corbin would too, kind of that what we called the Harpin curl or, mm-hmm. or the Corver curl, where they'd run and get that open screen for the, the open 18-foot jump shot. Yeah. But even in the end, a, a moving catch-and-shoot jump shot at the elbow is not that efficient compared to an open corner three or an open even uh, above the break three. Those are better opportunities mathematically. Oh, yeah, definitely. And there are a couple other things that I think have changed a bit since Gobert. I I just basically went and found some numbers for since Gobert has been out because I think, I do think still it's a pretty big shift to have a guy that plays 35 minutes a night that's just no longer there. Um, But I don't know that like Trevor Booker or Trey Lyles have been better than Rudy Gobert was offensively. No, they, in fact, I think there's, they just haven't. Like that, I don't think they have. So, and in particular, if you look at the data before Rudy Gobert's injury, the Jazz were still good offensively then. Yeah, no, that's absolutely so, true. I, I mean, I, I, I'm curious to see what you come up with. Don't, right. don't get me the wrong, you know, don't, don't take that the wrong way. But I, I, I absolutely I think that, take it the wrong way, Andy. I'm, I'm, I'm deeply, deeply sorry. <laughs> But I, I think that's a, a big thing to note is that this is not like an increased spacing thing. It, it is has it has been before and after the injury. The Jazz are just playing really well offensively. Yeah, I think I'd agree now. So just a few little trends here uh, since yeah. since the injury. The, as you would expect, the Jazz aren't rebounding offensively at quite the same level. Although I think if you had asked how much will it drop off, I think we would have thought it would drop off more. They've gone from like a top five offensive rebounding team to like eighth or something and it's been interesting it's been like two games where they had five offensive rebounds and then the the rest of the i believe it's been 10 games since the injury now the rest of the eight uh since then have been double digit offense rebounding nights 
a lot of that driven by Derek Favors. He's been a beast on the glass Just over the last ten monster. days or ten games. Monster. He and he and I haven't looked up the specific lineup combo. I'll do it here in a second. But while he and Favors play together, I th- I would have to assume the rate has been pretty high mm-hmm. over the last couple of weeks. Booker's. Uh, that's we've talked a lot. I think earlier in this year about Booker kind of. He's always had the energy, right? Like the ne- the energy never left, even when he was kind of playing badly. He, I think, he started now to kind of be able to channel that a little more frequently into positive stuff, rather than I think he was channeling it sometimes into negative stuff early in the year, over pursuing boards he wasn't going to get, running himself out of position on defense, trying too hard, things like that. Yeah. I think he's cut a lot of that down. Would you? Would you maybe agree? I, I would too, and I mean, I think it's shown in terms of his offensive rebounding output. Um, it's still not showing in layups made. <laughs> no, but that's a that's a different issue. <laughs> that one's a work in progress at the moment, unfortunately. Yeah, I'm, so I'm looking for this lineup right now. There, the other things there are a few. You know, the the shooting is marginally improved over the last few weeks. Not some gigantic major improvement. Again, not some indication that some vast well of space that wasn't there before has suddenly opened up. Nothing like that. Yeah. Um, By the way, just a quick stat on Trevor Booker. He's right. actually 12th in the league in offensive rebounding percentage. That's very good. Yeah, yeah. that is a very good number. Um, the turn, the Jazz have lowered their turnovers a little in the last few weeks. Again, nothing groundbreaking, but they have lowered them a little bit. They've started drawing slightly more free throws. They've started assisting a slightly higher percentage of us of their made baskets. Their three-point three percentage has gone up very slightly. None of these, though, are. I honestly kind of expected to look and see a bitter, a, a little bit of a bigger chasm in one. Or chasm, chasm. I think it's chasm. Chasm in in one or t- it's chasm. Okay, thanks, John. Uh, in one or two areas that would kind of explain like this is why they're kind of starting to see a, a, a real increase here, and especially when you consider one of these games they played was a, that that total stinker against the Spurs. Yeah, where they you know they that was a sub worst offense in the league number for that for that game. Um. What I was kind of wondering is I honestly feel like this the stats here aren't necessarily painting the full picture. I okay. feel like I feel like there's a non-scientific element. Of, man, I've been saying that word a lot on this show recently, but I, I feel like there's a non-scientific element of what is kind of happening. And I think we really saw it with that starting unit against um I'm totally blanking who they played on Monday here in, Against in, the Suns? Yes, that team. Okay. They played the Suns on Monday. Yes. Um I think we really saw it with that starting unit. They, they just seemed so in tune with each other to me. And, I, and not to say that the Jazz haven't had spots like that both this year and last year. I think we're starting to see it more frequently now where these guys are completely comfortable both in their own skins and alongside each other on the court. So in that game, I thought the Suns played really, really badly. Yeah, it helps when the defense lets you and get wherever And in particular, the two guys who were inserted into the starting lineup, John Lawyer and uh, Devin, Devin Booker. Booker, were really bad. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, I take that almost with a grain of salt with how bad they were. Right. Um, because, you know, yeah, the Jazz were making the right play consistently, but over and over again, the Suns just like collapsed where they didn't have to, or like sent help away, sent help to Raul Neto and Trey Lyles drives, yeah. you know, like yeah. just things that are kind of stupid to do. Um, and the Suns did them repeatedly, but Nevertheless, they're, I, I think they're doing a good job of taking advantage of those opponent mistakes where maybe another team wouldn't have. I think you can see that a little bit in the passing numbers, by the way, just yeah. in terms of total number of passes. We've commented on the, in the past how the Jazz aren't getting assists, but I think you know we kind of see the Jazz. Uh, Quinn Sander always talks about 
getting an initial advantage off a pick and roll or, or a screen or a dribble handoff or whatever the case might be, and then using passing in order to increase that advantage and increase it and increase it until you get a wide open jump shot or layup. Yeah. And I, we've seen that recently from the team. It's kind of you know the culmination of what he's worked for a little bit. Yeah, and, and you know he's talked about that's kind of what you sometimes have to do with a group like this. There's not there's not a Westbrook, there's not a Durant who it's just we make one move and that guy's gravity and his his skill is so high that the shot's open. It's just there. Sometimes with a group like this, you have to work harder for it. You have to make several passes. You have to swing the ball side to side multiple times. And I think we're starting to see them more comfortable in that. Like, okay, we we started the crease here. Now we're going to expand the crease a little bit here, and we're and slowly we're going to find the shot we want. The other thing is that you know even despite that, the Jazz are still only I think it's 19th in expected field or uh, EFG um, effective field effective goal field goal. Yeah. I don't know why I keep saying expected uh, effective field goal percentage. I.e., taking into account that threes are worth more than two, uh, which tells me that it's not necessarily the shots. I think it's the things on the margins they're doing well. So offensive rebounds, they're not turning over the ball very frequently. Uh, The team's getting to the line a lot. Jazz fans complain about the number of fouls they get, but I think generally they've been getting a good whistle on their end. It's just that they're also hacking so much on the defensive end. Yeah, I think maybe earlier in the year, the first like 10 games of the year, they maybe had a gripe at a little as far as like going the wrong way on a few whistles here and there. Recently, I don't think that's the case at all. And and it's that kind of stuff that you look at, you know, all the different pieces that come into an offensive uh, offensive rating and offensive point scoring quite frankly and it's that stuff that they're good at maybe not necessarily getting that initial shot but also getting the easy offensive rebound and doing something with it yeah speaking of the offensive rebounds i did look up the uh the trevor booker and Derek favors front court when they've played together and this is just since gobert's injury so what they've been doing that more against starting units i think you would say okay um they've rebounded 32 and a half percent of all of the team's own misses which is really really high during that period. So they're destroying the offensive boards, basically. Actually, what's interesting is that that front court is kind of getting killed in those <laughs> since that time. They're a minus 12.3 per 100 possessions in uh, 133 minutes. Interesting. Yeah. So how, I mean, do you have the numbers for, like, how Lyles and Favors are doing? Or, Let me I mean, find that. I, mean, I know I'm asking you this live on the air to do some stat I do. research. But. No, and I do have those numbers, and they have been way better. Uh, in 165 minutes, they're a plus four. Well, plus 3.9. So, so what's behind that? Well, I have no idea. They can't. They're not offensive. Re- in fact, they're offensive rebounding at probably a below average league rate, like 23.4%. I think usually you see it a bit higher, the average for the league. Um, their overall rebounding percentage is good. They've been great on the defensive glass. Um, I think we've seen that from Lyles. I think he's been better than we expected on the defensive glass. The other thing that's weird, yeah, no, I, I agree with that. He's Lyles is rebounding on, on on the defensive end has improved this season as well. I think, you know, at the beginning of the season, he was a non-factor and has started to get more important rebounds. Right. Um, the other weird thing about this offensive rating thing is that I don't think the Wings have played to expectation this season. Um, I think Hayward has. With Yeah, with the exception of Hayward. Uh, but I, I talked to Quinn Snyder about the wing rotation, and, you know, this was, you were there. He kind of asked me to clarify what I was asking about. I was basically asking, like, Hey, do you also think that the wings have been pretty bad beyond Gordon Hayward? Yeah, like, but you tried to phrase it in a way that sort of didn't say it quite so bluntly, and he forced you to effectively say it bluntly, which was great. What? <laughs> yeah, you don't want to come right out to the coach and be like, "Hey, coach, your players aren't very good right now." Three what of your gives? best five players have sucked. But <laughs> kind of, I mean, they kind of have, right? Uh, maybe not sucked, but you look at like Rodney Hood is putting up a twelve per right now, is still shooting. Let's see, only thirty percent from three. That's way off the. 40 
42% he did after the All-Star break last season. Uh Clearly hasn't been as effective as he was at the end of last year. I, yeah, I think no, that's fair to say. There's no doubt. Alec Burks is on a real... Uh, he's really struggled, I think, in the month of December. He has. He, you look at his shooting percentages. I think defensively he's been problematic um, in, in a lot of situations. Maybe not every situation. And, and I think sometimes he's been better than Neto on that end. I think the um, Jazz have been so bad as a group defensively in December that it's hard to separate sometimes. not all. And I agree with you. There have been times where it's been egregious with him. Um, and but there are a few other guys who kind of fit that bill as well. Yeah, no, I, and that's fair. Uh, but I I would also say that you know you look at the crunch time offense and we've talked about that being a problem. Mm-hmm. When they get the ball to Alec Burks, I don't think that he's making the right decisions on offense. He he has come. To, we there was that period like seven eight games in. There was that one game I want to say it was against Denver earlier in the year where he had nine eight or nine assists or something like that. And it was we the they we learned from the I believe the beat writers or someone that. Quinn had effectively told him before the game, like, start finding the right man on these drives. Right. Like, we, we, we want to emphasize that. And there was a few games stretched there where that was clearly a point of emphasis for him. And he was making great passes. He was getting into the lane, drawing rotations. And it's, you're right, it's kind of gone away. It's weird. Then. That happens with Alec Burks a lot. It does. And like, that's... Yeah. Not even with, with passing, but even when... Last season, Quinn Snyder asked him to start rebounding more. And what do you know? He got, like, 10 rebounds in three consecutive games. Yeah. And then it went away to be the Alec Burks that we, you know, kind of have become familiar with over the course of time. Sometimes I think that happens with his defense a little bit, too, yep. right? You know, yep. we see flashes, and then we see... Periods where he's kind of out of the game for whatever reason. Yeah. Um. I I worry about that long term with Alec Burks because he he is showing flashes and it's it's like you know if he puts it all together you don't want to trade that guy but on the other hand it, he hasn't been able to keep any skill development really for more than a few games at a time. Yeah, and this is where the, that whole deal becomes so difficult to gauge. Right? Is if you know. If they truly think they're making headway on that and they're getting to a point where it's more consistent and next year it'll be even more consistent and so on and so forth, then that's a player you have to hang on to because, like you say, those flashes are, I mean, they're really good. When he plays like that, that's a really good player. He Those games he would, the, when that I was talking about, that little stretch there, he was an enormously valuable player in those. I think he was their best player for a few-game stretch right in there. And But you're right, when he's not doing them, that changes a whole lot, and and it's really hard to gauge what do we think we can get this player to do, and what how th- th- those that sort of work ethic and habits thing is one of the hardest things to gauge in this league. Like one number stats, just you know, uh, aren't great, but you look at his per over the course of his five year NBA career so far. Mm-hmm. 14 in his rookie season, 11.5 second year, yep. 15.8 third year, 13.0 last year. I'm sure injured for part of it. Right. And then 15.0 so far this year. Which is down. It was up at like 17 at some point this year. Right. But, you know, let's yeah. take into account the whole year. Yeah. He's having his worst shooting year from the field. That might be because he's taking more three-point shots. He's also all, settling all. way too often for long mid-rangers. He's honestly taken over from Trey Burke at this point as the guy who's most often settling for mid-rangers that I don't like during games. Yeah. Would you agree with no, that? No, I, I think that's fair. I still I think Trey still takes a bunch of them. But, he de- but Trey's making them more this Trey's, year. <laughs> Trey is definitely making them more this year. Um, you look at like his, I don't know, let's let's look at, I, I don't love win shares, but let's look at win shares. 1.5 rookie season, 1.0 second season, 3.2 is third year, 1.7 last year, 1.3 so far this year on pace for 3.0. So you you know you look at it and you you don't see massive improvement from age 20 to 24. Yeah, which is, I guess that's a bit concerning, and I, I you do start to see the outlines forming of a player who 
has as much, you know, as much skill and as much ability in his body as you can almost ask for in many ways. I mean, what he did the other night, that was, I mean, that was a, a feature thing of the week for the NBA as right, a whole. Right, But the, the dunk. Yeah, the, the dunk. Whatever dunk heard around the world. And, and unfortunately, I think you see that there are, and this is even coming from me, you know how serious it is because I'm a huge Alec Burks fan in general, mostly because of that skill set. But there are... You you get you're getting to an age with him where it's put up or shut up, and it's he either can keep himself motivated and keep himself emphasizing those 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 areas, or he can't because the coaching staff can't do that 100 percent of the time. I will say he is getting to the free throw line more this season, which is good. Although he's making fewer free throws, it's crazy that um, he's getting there more. He was already getting there at a ridiculous rate. Yeah, he's <laughs> he's 10 free throws per 100 possessions so that's, far this that's year, crazy. which is yeah, it's got to be among the top five in the NBA. Oh yeah, that's like James Harden level. Uh yeah, I mean, it, it's it's a weird question, and honestly, I think it's one that the Jazz front office has to look at this, maybe not this trade deadline, but in this offseason, how big of a role do you want Alec Burks to have on this team? Yeah, no, I think it's absolutely true, and I think you're still at a point with him where, especially given his contract, which is still good, regardless of what this debate that we're having, his is contract, it? I think it's still good. So, for a $10 million a year player, or is he making 11 He's 10, he's 10. I think it's 10 average. I think it's uh, no. Uh, yeah, okay, is it eleven over the course of the contract. I think it's eleven. No, you're right. It's ten. Okay. Either way, either one of those starting next year For is a fifteen per guy who doesn't play defense. But that's less than starter money. Play great defense. That's less than starter money. Is it less than average player money? I I mean, isn't this isn't the right around starter right around where you get to average as well? Like borderline starter is a borderline average NBA player. Uh, okay. Like how many teams yeah, does Alec Burks no, start for currently? I mean, it, that depends on situation right. and the I, scarcity I, I mean, of position. I have no idea, but, but yeah. Um, I mean, I, I think mean, he's at least close, right? He's a, he's probably the best shooting guard on this team so far this season, right? I mean, yeah, just he's been better than Hood for sure. So. But he's not starting, so that you know that's right. you have to look at that sort of thing. Right. But I, what I was gonna say is, I think you're still at a point where there's gonna be teams out there who would think we can get this guy to where we want him, yeah, and I'll, you could and you could get value for him. It's not agreed. like yeah, yeah. No, I don't think anyone. But in terms of you know what are the Jazz gonna do? And honestly, the Jazz have so much money that if Alec Burks is your bad contract, you're in a really good place. Oh, you're in an awesome place. But anyway. By the way, the rest of the wing rotation, we kind of went off an Alec Burks tangent there, but I'm I'm glad we did. Uh. Joe Ingles has a 10.7 PER this season. Chris Johnson, 7.4, and Elijah Millsap, 5.4. Those are replacement-level numbers. And Elijah's is worse. I've been a little critical of Elijah, unfortunately. We've talked about this on Press Row a time or two. I think it's reached the point where there's basically no question that Gordon Hayward is a better defender than he is. Yeah. And especially given how often Elijah fouls. He's fouling nearly eight times per 36 minutes. Just a lot. <laughs> That's lunacy. Like, you can't foul that much. Um, and he's just, he's been such a zero on the other end for the entire year. He's reaching borderline unplayable levels to me. Tibor Place, by the way, is 16 fouls per 100 possessions, oh so in case you were curious. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> yeah, in 15 I'm, minutes, but I'm just throwing that out. I do have to briefly go on the record and say I'm, at this point, confused nearly every time Millsap comes in over Ingles. See, Ingles I, hasn't been I, perfect. But the gap between his defense and Millsap's defense is so much smaller than the gap between their offense, in my opinion. I don't know if that's true. I mean, maybe. I, I mean, Ingles is a forty percent three. I don't know if he's shooting forty percent this year, but he's like he's right as a three point forty. No, he's been three-point. he's been good so far this year. He's thirty eight percent from the field. So yeah. yeah, and if you stretch that back, a, so if you go a calendar year, he's a forty percent three point shooter over the last calendar year. Right. Basically. No, I and I don't think Jingles has been bad offensively. I think teams have figured him out a little bit defensively. A bit. Um, which is which is a struggle. I, I I don't. I actually like how Quinn Snyder is doing this right now, where he's kind of 
playing it based on the matchups. If they need a defensive sub, Elijah Millsap comes in. Right. If they need offensive boost, then Joe Ingles is your sub. I'm almost you at a point where I would try Johnson over Millsap as the defensive guy because he's proven pretty good there yeah. and can at least make an open three on I'm the other end. That. I'm I, I I wouldn't complain. Yeah. Uh, I would say that all three of those players are non-ideal. No, they need to be better. Like you need one of those guys to potentially be better. Cool. All right. Well, we got to take a break. On the other side, we're going to be talking about that 2015 calendar year we just mentioned. Who's who's been good? Who's not? The highlights, etc. That's next on the Salt City Hoop Show, ESPN 700. Analytics and opinions on the Jazz and the rest of the NBA. This is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. All right, welcome back into the Salt City Hoop Show. I'm Andy Larson, Ben Dowsett joining you as well. Uh, it's been a topsy-turvy in the NBA so far in terms of scores. What, Ben, what do you have for me? Yeah, the world makes total sense tonight. Currently, Dallas is losing to Brooklyn. Okay, uh, that's which, weird. Which makes a lot of sense. Uh, currently, New Orleans is beating Portland by 25, which I guess does make sense because Damian Lillard isn't playing. But still, Andy's freaking out about college refs. <sighs> college refs are the worst. He got elbowed in the face and the guy was called for a blocking foul. <laughs> The Kings beat Indy at home, so Indy loses at home to Sacramento, which Jeez. makes a ton of sense. Uh, Orlando beats Houston. I guess everything makes sense with Houston so far this year, um, and that actually probably helps the Jazz quite a bit. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, Washington beats Memphis. Washington's really coming back on now. They're uh, good. Everybody was worried about what the problem with them was. I don't think there's a problem. I think the problem was John Wall was playing badly, and now he is not. When your best player starts playing better, things tend to go better. Uh, the one thing that does make sense in the world is that Cleveland beat New York finally. And they, it was a lot closer than it should have been with Melo not playing. But uh, although that could be some serious Ewing theory type of stuff going on <laughs> there with that team. Because when he doesn't play, all of a sudden Kristaps is able to get 23 and 13 with four assists and a block and a steal. And yeah, that's pretty efficient. Yeah, that is, that's good. Uh, quick college restaurant. Like, how? <laughs> how do you do this? You get elbowed in the face and uh, somehow. You're going to the free throw line? I don't I don't understand. Andy has a complex relationship with all referees, but especially yeah. college ones who are uh, a cut below the NBA, you might say. Yeah, I also feel this way about uh, soccer rec center refs sometimes. <laughs> we are not the best of friends. Uh, You've anyway, been tossed from games, haven't you? No, I haven't. I've never gotten a red card. Okay. Well, I have gotten yellows. I've gotten blue cards, which is a thing in soccer. That, it's basically a two-minute minor in no. Oh, it's basically okay. a two-minute minor in hockey. So if you okay. get two blues, you get a yellow. Well, you you're better than blues, me. In, you get a red. You're better than me in rec hockey, then, because I have been tossed from rec hockey for really? yelling at refs. Yeah, not many times, but once or twice. Yeah, I've I've never been tossed. Um, I've I've probably deserved to be tossed, but that's a different issue. Anyway, let's talk about the Jazz. Uh, 2015, end of 2015 is coming up. Uh, I don't believe we have a show next week because of the the end of the year, and right. there's a youth uh, men's basketball game that week when our show would normally be. So I uh, kind of wanted to look at how the Jazz have done in the calendar year of 2015. And the the results are positive. First of all, they're above 500, which is nice to see. Yeah, they're 39 and 37 uh, over the the calendar year of 2015 with so five games, games left in the year. So six games short of a full NBA season yep. over that period. Yep. So that's nice. And and honestly, you look at the next five games, and they'll, they'll probably end up over 500 too. Yeah. Sure. You, you probably count this one tonight against the Warriors as a loss. Probably. But you count home against the 76ers as an equally sure win. Yep. Uh, and then you look at I believe it's Portland. Uh, Timberwolves, and then who's who's the third team left? I'm I'm blinking. I'm getting but. there. Hold on. It's regardless. It's 
it's a nice schedule for the Jazz. They play, so the Golden State, then they have the Clippers at home, so that's a tough one. Clippers at home. But then Philly doing. at home, which is a win at Minnesota. They're not playing very well lately, and Portland at home to close on the 31st. To close you probably, here. I mean, you only need to finish two of three in order to finish 500 for the year, so... That should happen. That should happen. Yeah, you probably would. White would like to go three or two, and or maybe even four and one over those games. That'd be great. I mean, they manhandled the Clippers last time around. That's a good point. Although the Gobert was around now, and that's in stark contrast to the 2014 calendar year, during yeah. which they were 26 and 56. So that is a nice little 13 win improvement. And you and you look at what has changed for the Jazz, and it's it's not really like 13 wins of personnel. You know what I mean? It's basically. Uh, Rudy Gobert started playing more. You got rid of Ennis Cantor, who is, is a net negative, and you added Dante Exum and Ronnie Hood to your team, but those guys have only played for half of calendar year 2015, you know what I mean? Yep. Uh, or haven't been that good over 2015. Yep. Uh, so I think it's pretty clear what the what has changed the most. That would be the difference between Quinn Snyder and Ty Corbin. Yep. Um, I, I, I think... There are times we quibble with little things, like I've quibbled with his rotations a bit this year compared to last year, and quibble, quibble, quibble. But <laughs> overall, there's you look at where this team was when he became the coach, you look at where the team is now, and in particular, you look at the individual skill sets of the young players, where they were then, where they are now. Yes, you expect young players to improve to some degree, but the consistency with which nearly every single young player has improved is to me, it's pretty stunning. Yeah, I mean, uh, to give Ty a little bit of credit, both Gordon Hayward and Derek Favors got better each year under his regime as well. This is true. Um, and Favors has just done it every single year he's been in the league. As as Hayward, you, he's one. Yeah. I think he's the only player, or maybe second player in NBA history, to get more points each year of his the first five seasons of that's his NBA crazy. career. Yeah, I, mean, I was talking to this remarkable talking to Jeff Hornacek about this actually after his media availability on Monday before when the Suns were here. Uh-huh. Really nice of him to stick around and talk to David Locke and myself and a couple other guys just for a second there. Um, and he, one thing he told us, by the way, was that Derek never lifted weights when he was when he was younger. Yeah, which is which is insane. I mean, so he do when it you now? say when do he you was know? younger, uh, that's what David Locke was saying. Yeah, now they they've kind of put him on a weight remover. They did, regimen, okay. But uh, when you say when he was younger, is that in a jazz uniform? Yeah, like when he came. Jeff was saying when that when Jeff was here as an okay. assistant, Derek he never saw he he didn't say he never lifted weights. He said I never saw him lift weights. See, and I wonder if that was part of. I mean, the Jazz basically have the same strength and conditioning coaches that, like, Mark McCown has yeah. been the guy for, for forever. Now they've got Isaiah Wright in that spot, too. But not that much has changed other than who's who's in charge of those guys. Right. I honestly wonder if that's, like, a, a team culture kind of thing that Quinn Snyder's changed a little bit. You know, you, you hear be. stories about how uh, certain rules didn't apply to certain players back in the Ty Corbin days. Right. You know, some players didn't go through practice uh, 100% like the rest of the players did. Yeah. And while that makes sense on some level because of fatigue and that sort of thing, um, I think it also is tough for a, a guy like Derek Favors to say, you know, look, if if Al Jefferson isn't doing this, why am I doing this? Right. Whatever the case might be. Yeah, no question. Um, and so I, I, th- I wonder if that's made a difference. We'd only be speculating, but right. I think saying that they're saying that there's a good chance that's the case, I don't think is 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 missing anything. And, and by the way, like I said, he's gotten better every year of his career anyway. Like with yeah. the re- without the weight, yeah. But this year he's been incredible. And that was the thing we talked about is how remarkable it is that he's favors has never had one year where it was some huge gigantic improvement. It's been every year he's gotten incrementally better at basically everything, which is just. That's so cool. Like that's to me that's really cool to see. That's like not that it's bad when a guy has a large leap, 
but it's I think it shows that a guy is kind of going about things the right way. And to me, the biggest thing for me with Favors is the the turnovers. He hmm. the turnovers go down every year, even as his usage and his involvement in the offense rises. He's at I think he's at his lowest turnover year since he's been in the league. Why do you th- this year. what do you think leads to that? Why why do you think he's turning the ball over less? I just think he's 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 more composed. The game we talk, you hear coaches say all the time the game is slowing down for him. I think that has happened again incrementally. But does that, I mean, does that not happen for other players too? It does. I just for whatever reason, Favors has just found a way to make every part of his skill set that much more refined, that much more precise every year. It's why I'm marveling at it is because most guys really can't pull that off. Most guys, you see them put an emphasis on a few things, and you see that area hopefully improve as long as they're a good player. There's not too many where you see... It's almost like Favors hasn't had one particular area of emphasis really ever. He's mostly just said... I'm good at all these things, and now I'm going to be slightly better at each of them as the year right. as, as I go into the year. And I think that's honestly maybe a bit of a unique approach. I think most guys try and emphasize one or two areas more. Yeah, I, I mean, we've always we've heard from Derek every year. Basically, he's like, "I want to get better on that jump shot," and and right. to his credit, he has gotten better every year. I almost kind of wonder, like, for those guys who do take a leap in their second or third year, a big leap that you know moves them into the the top of the the NBA echelon, like the the Jimmy Butlers, if you will, or right. you know uh, Westbrook or Durant after their first couple of seasons. What is it? I mean, is it just that those guys have different athletic t- abilities than Gordon Hayward and Derek Favors? Who uh, you know, I, I I don't know. I would say Jimmy Butler is pretty comparable athletically to probably Hayward. Um, Maybe I think he's a little more athletic potentially, okay. but yeah, I mean it's it, it and this is what's so interesting to what, uh, what I find so interesting about those guys for the Jazz is that and they've been through multiple coaching systems, so you can't necessarily point to that. Um, they've just been two guys that have both kind of done that that sort of incremental improvement. And I'm a, not again not that I wouldn't be a fan of if Hayward all of a sudden jumped had some massive leap, especially from where he's currently at, because that right. would make him an MVP candidate. But uh, you know, I, I still think it's a very good thing for the most part. Now we wanted to. Briefly yeah. talk about a highlight or a game or a moment or two from the year. Did you want to go first or did you want me to? Yeah. Um, you I'll, Okay, I'll go first. All right. A uh, couple ones. First of all, the Jazz is uh, – I, I think you have to look to that January-February stretch where everything right. started to change for the Jazz. Because mm-hmm. uh, before that, quite frankly, it was three and a half years of – Frustration and and uh, pretty near 500 play and or a lot worse. and bad defense and you know we kind of we we know what that was yeah um but you look at January and February and things started to change defensively for the team and and everything started to come together I think the away game versus the Chicago Bulls in yep. January was a big coming together moment for this team Enes Kanter was out Rudy Gobert started and and the Jazz played phenomenal defense against what was then one of the was top teams in the east yeah um and sure the bulls offense has a tendency to stagnate but that was really the first time that you know the jazz had made a team's offense stagnate and they dismantled that team yeah which which was enormously impressive yeah uh the houston game at home i believe was in march or maybe the end of february again same kind of thing like you you look at the first game against the houston rockets at home in salt lake city last season and the jazz got demolished i mean james harden by himself had 10 assists for three point shots that's incredible now you look at how they were playing in the second game, and all of a sudden everything was rotating. The Jazz didn't need to help as much inside because Rudy Gobert was there, and, and so they were able to defend the perimeter a lot better. I mean, again, it all kind of came together where the Jazz were playing some 
of the league's best teams and and defending them and taking away their their best threats. Didn't Millsap and, play a lot in that game and just shut Harden down for like long periods? Am I remembering correctly? I think uh, I am. Uh, you may be. I, I feel honestly, like that was a game I where don't. he got big minutes and it was just like a shutdown for a big portion of the game. Yeah, so I, I have to go to those kind of two games. You know, you have a cool, uh, a bunch of cool like little moments, whether that be the Booker flip over his head or the yeah. the uh, Bryce Cotton alley oop, but. To me, I don't remember being more impressed with the Jazz than over the course of those two games where it's clear that all of a sudden the system was really kicking in. Yeah, and mine was honestly pretty similar. Mine was a stretch from the All-Star game in 2015, so that would also be this where they traded Ennis Cantor, uh, from then until March 16th of 2015. During that span, they went 11-2. and Their two losses were by a combined four points at, uh, wow. in those losses. Their defensive rating was 89.7. Wow. So they held, t- you know what the Spurs are doing this year, which is going to on pace to be one of the most historic defenses of all time. Jazz were like three points better than that. Wow. <laughs> During that stretch. Their plus 12.1 net rating was by far the best in the league at that point uh, during those that period. They rebounded over 30% of their own misses offensively. They were just absolutely pummeling teams at that point. I, I think that was kind of the that perfect middle ground of where they had found their identity Cantor was gone, Gobert was starting, and before teams started to figure a thing or two out about them and kind of lowered that run to end the year, like because they didn't stay on quite that pace to, right. to, the, to quite to the end of the year. But I, they really were, for a thir- that 13-game stretch, and you could even say slightly before and slightly after that, they were the best team in the league, which, at least by the numbers, I don't know that they would have necessarily yeah. beaten any team in the league, but they, they were playing like the best team in the league at that point, and they were, it looked for periods like it was just scoring on these guys was impossible. For, right. for long stretches of time. And I kind of like you said, I just remember that as the time where I was like, man, this is this is a different team than I think what we thought they could be coming into the year. Yeah. And, and again, credit to those guys for making that happen in the middle of a season, at, you know, after a nine game losing streak and yeah. that sort of thing, where it would have been really easy to kind of give up and say, look, we're young. Uh, we don't have the talent, whatever the case might be. They put it together and, and you know, I think gave themselves a chance. I think I think that's really cool. Yeah. All right. We're going to take a break, our final break of the show, uh, and then talk about the upcoming Jazz Warriors game next, uh, what you can expect from tonight's game. Hopefully, we'll give our predictions. That's up next on the Salt City Hoop Show, ESPN 700. If you miss TK in the midday, then you miss this. Casey Jacobson, college basketball analyst. I've watched this play. They had no answer for Jakob Pertl or Kyle Kuzma or anybody at the rim for that matter. How about Bonham? The way he slices and dice his way to a nice game, but I thought Bonham really had a breakout game offensively and the way he passed the ball nine assists he can do that this Utah team is going to be really good TK in the midday Monday through Thursday from 11 to 1 on Utah's number one sports talk ESPN 700 listening to Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk ESPN 700 all right, welcome back into the Salt City Hoop Show, the final segment of the show today. Just the hour on, on today's Salt City Hoop Show. Previewing the Warriors-Jazz game coming up starting at 8.30. Uh, David Locke just had this great tweet that he said probably 8,000 people are there early. Again, we've still got 45 minutes until game time to watch Steph Curry warm up. Wow. It's a treat. It, it really is. Like I, I'll, I'll freely admit it. I was out there watching when he was here. I made sure I was. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it is something to watch, and it's interesting. Like he, he almost, some, at least when the Warriors played here in Salt Lake City at Vivint Arena, he didn't make as many shots as I thought he would. No, like he, he only made didn't. like seventy-five percent of them, and I was kind of like disappointed. Yeah. 
Um, anyway, uh, the the odds are not good for the Jazz tonight. There's a nine percent chance they win, according to some statistical models. Uh, I think that's about right, based on how good the Warriors have been this season. That they're playing at home. That they haven't lost at home in approximately forever. Uh, that sort of thing. You've got some interesting points here on on what worked for the Jazz last time and and whether or not they can carry that over to tonight. Yeah. So the way the Jazz kept the game really close last time, and in in many ways you could say they probably should have won if they had executed a little bit better down the stretch. Which although that's a big should have, but right. um, Golden State shot forty eight percent from three in that game on a good number of threes, which is like that's a lot. I mean, so they it's not like Golden State had a bad shooting night, which you would normally expect for a team to stay in the game with them. Golden State also won the rebounding battle by 10. You know, so I was actually talking to Gordon Hayward and Derek Favors after the game uh, last Saturday, I believe it was. Mm-hmm. And that was when the, the Bucks were actually beating the Warriors by 12 before the Warriors came back right. to, to not lose. But um, we were talking about how, you know, how close they came last time. And they were it, really the big thing for them was just if Ian Clark doesn't go 4 for 4 from the three-point line, uh, they win, and Ian Clark hasn't made a three-point shot since that game, which is incredible. And then Sean Livingston made his his three-point shot as well, which yeah. he is not a three-point shooter. The Jazz kind of feel like they they got a little bit unlucky to to win that one now or to to lose that one. Now, don't tell Warriors fans that, but you please, know, please don't. <laughs> um, I, I I think that's a reasonable point by by Gordon and Derek that you know maybe the ball went in uh, more than was. More than usual, at least no, for those kind of players. It's, I mean, the Warriors are one of the best shooting teams of all time, but their average for the season is not forty-eight percent from three. It's like that's still way higher than what right. they normally shoot. And the Jazz, by the way, shot thirty-one percent from three, which is way lower than what their season average is. Um, the Jazz drew more free throws, which was good. They w- limit heavily limited their turnovers. They only had eight on the game, and they forced fifteen, which was winning that battle was a big a big piece of it for them. Not giving the Warriors extra possessions that way. Um, they also were really good in transition. They limited the fast break points. Golden State only scored five of those for the entire game, which if you let that team get out on the break, they'll just destroy you. So you you feel like if, you know, who knows, they could, Golden State's always a threat to go supernova. And if that happens again right. tonight, then you're probably in some trouble. But the fact that the Jazz lost a rebounding battle by 10, which is not always going to happen against a team that goes as small as the Warriors will frequently go. Now, the Jazz did have Gobert that last time. That's what I was going to ask is how much can they keep up without Rudy Gobert? Yeah, and that's the end. Trey Lyles, by the way, played exactly one minute, and I think it was less than one minute in that game. Zeros across the board on his stats except for one defensive rebound. He's going to have to play more than that tonight, and if he gets roasted, it, it could be a bit of a problem for them. Yeah, and he he has shown you know in theory Trey Lyles is is like a good matchup fit for for the Warriors. It's just that unfortunately he can't do complex defensive things. No, and he's you know you're right in from a uh, you know a model standpoint or whatever he's he's good as a as a Draymond Green counter, but Draymond is just better at every single thing that you could do on the basketball court currently. So. In that sense, he almost becomes a worse matchup because it's just you're playing kind of into Draymond's hands that Draymond can do everything better than he can do. Right. And the Warriors excel at putting players like that, players that are maybe not 100% comfortable in the situation they're in just yet, which is totally understandable for Trey Lyles at 20. They excel in putting those guys in the blender and and really, really preying on them. They might do that more than any other team is is picking on the, yeah. the other team's defenders. You know, I... 
remember uh, maybe because it was shell shocking, but just how bad uh, and how frequently the Warriors ran the Trey Burke and Escanter pick yeah. and roll defense through, you know, over and over and over again in, in a game at Oracle Arena last year. Uh, you know, when when those guys were the primary players at their positions. Now, of course, the Jazz have have different talents starting, but you still probably look at Trey Lyles guarding Draymond Green at yeah. least to start the game. Yeah. The other big thing for me that I see going into this one is whether this recent strong run of play from Raul Neto, can he do that for like 25 minutes in this game? Can he basically, can't? I think he was clearly the Jazz's best defender on Curry in the, mm. the first time around, but he was so bad offensively, he went 0 for 6 and really torpedoed the offense a lot of the time while he was on the floor that he could only play 15 minutes. If you can get him to be just good enough on offense that he can play 25 minutes, I think that's a big boon for you because I think he's the best guy you've got on Curry. And he showed improvement over the last week or so. Oh, he you definitely know, has. He, he's been, he was great against the Suns. You know, sure, it's only, I believe he ended up with nine points that game. You know, it's not double digits. It's not anything blowing anyone's minds, but he outplayed Eric Bledsoe in that game. He definitely did. And, you know, you're not going to outplay Steph Curry, but if he can play 25 minutes of at least playing, being pesky and kind of annoying Steph, like I think he did a little bit in that last game, gave up a three on his first play of the game around a screen. And then after that was pretty excellent from there on defensively. If he can do that for 25 minutes, shoot a couple open threes and make them offensively, I think that's that could be one of the biggest crux points for the Jazz. If they can get that and play like they did in the last game for the most part, maybe they got an outside shot. What's your prediction, though? I was just going to ask you, what's your what's your definition of success? Like, because I, I think ultimately, you know, obviously, I think the smart better would say that the Jazz lose this game. But I, I'd be encouraged if they keep it close throughout. Um, yeah. And you know, if the if the Warriors go on a twelve zero run at some point and and pull the game away, hopefully that happens in in the third quarter or the fourth quarter and not the first quarter. Basically, yeah, I would say that's some degree of success, and then really great success would be winning the game or being right, right there in in the stretch run like they were last time. Right. No, I completely agree. Especially with this lineup, you know you yeah again, you're missing Gobert and go. I wrote a piece on Basketball Insiders uh, about a month ago about how teams like Utah, San Antonio, it, to even larger to an even larger degree, are kind of trying to slow things down, go bigger against Golden State, and go against the grain against them as kind of a way of beating them. It's harder for the Jazz when Gobert's out because he's a right. big piece of what allows you to do that. So the good news is Rudy Gobert is working on his recovery. Uh, I, I hear kind of sooner rather than later, at least based on how his knee is recovering. Okay. You know, we're we're not talking next week by any means, but the the hope is that. Uh, this this injury will not define the season. Let's put it that way. Oh, that's good. Early um, early January would be real nice. Yeah, if that could happen. All right. So predictions. Uh, Jazz lose by ten. Okay, and is it ten where it's like they it was twenty before and then they garbage time <laughs> it back to ten, or is it ten where it was five and then Golden State goes on a run at the end? Five to t- uh, that one. Okay, I, I'm optimistic. Cautiously optimistic. Me being the lovely pessimist I always am. Which is fair against this team. Yeah, unfortunately, I have to say, I kind of think the Jazz get killed. Okay, that's fine. I mean, they had they had rest. Yeah. They, they might be looking forward to Christmas a little bit. Speaking of which, what are you going to do for Christmas? Um, Work. A lot. I'm the only right. non. I'm KSL. the only Jewish com. person that works at KSL.com, so I am going to work those Christmas shifts. But you do get uh, holiday pay, right? I do, so that's nice. Awesome. All right. Well, we gotta we gotta go. We're run, running out of time. Thank you guys so much for listening to the Salt City Hoop Show. Uh, catch us every week Thursdays, usually seven to nine p.m. This is Andy Larson, Salt City Hoops, ESPN seven hundred.